Okay, so Bruce K, the the floor is yours. Hey, I'm Bruce. I'm a sober alcoholic. What is it, 15 minutes or so, Louisa? Just, just okay, 15 minutes-ish. Um, and bear with me. I, As I mentioned to some of you, I got up. I had about three hours of sleep due to travel. Um, being sober has given me the courage to do the things that I need to do that I don't necessarily want to do when I had to fly. Um, uh, I live in Taos, New Mexico in the States. Kind of fly to the East Coast to see my brother who's dying in hospice. And uh, I haven't seen him in 10 years. And it was really, really great. And part of being, uh, partly for being sober and partly for my, you know, awakening and spiritual journey um, got me to show up um, um, for him and his family and, um, you know, a lot of love, a lot of tears shed, a lot of laughter, life on life's terms. And I never, I wouldn't have done that if I was still drinking. So, excuse me. Anyway, that's just why I'm sleepy. I started drinking when I was 12. And I loved it immediately. <laughs> I loved that when I drank, it felt like when the alcohol went into my belly, the actual sun or a star opened in my stomach. It arrived. It was warm. It was comforting. It was embracing and it was loving, like the love I didn't get in the kind of insane household that I lived in. Um, and it scarred me for a long time. And I started drinking with friends. And uh, then I didn't want to drink with friends. I just wanted to drink alone. And uh, very risky behaviors. And I drank, you know, for me, and I only speak for me. I don't speak for anybody else. I don't have all the answers. I do have all the answers for me because I am the CEO of me <laughs> and the world revolves around here for most of us. And, and that's about it for me. So as a CEO of Bruce, I can tell you that uh, I was not born an alcoholic. I, I, de I developed alcoholism because I wanted to numb the horrible, horrible, brutal upbringing and um I shouldn't say horrible horrible but pretty rough upbringing that I had and the insanity in the household and the noise that was in my head so I didn't know that the more I drank the more I was becoming addicted to it and uh without going into a drunk log I, I mean I barely graduated high school I uh, like most of us, everyone I know, the thousands and thousands of alcoholics I've met all over the world, um, in person, when we had, you know, did in-person meetings before, is that we're very smart, we're very creative, we're very resilient, we're very tough, we're very sensitive. And um, I was able to put myself through a couple years of college, and then I quit, and Anyway, I, I wanted to replace the attunement I never got from my mom because she had 30 shock treatments and was never around. It was quite 
abusive, but also quite loving and funny. And um, so I searched out women to um, fill that hole. And I didn't want to be in a relationship unless that person drank as well. And anyway, this went on for a long time. And I can, I can tell you that uh, I was angry my whole life. My brother and sister are still so, so angry. <laughs> and there are people who've been traumatized like us. I don't know anybody who hasn't gone through some sort of trauma in the world that uh, repress that trauma so much they don't realize they're traumatized. And that's still with my brother and sister and, most, and a lot of the people in the world. And, um, blame others for their lives. And I don't blame anyone for my life. I, my life, I accept full responsibility for my life. My external condition is a direct relation to my internal condition, I believe. And I believe in you know, the Buddhists and the science of cause and effect. Whatever I do is going to have a positive or negative effect, if you will. And, and those effects affect every every single one of us. So I didn't realize it. So I blamed a lot of people for a lot of things. Angry, angry, angry. If I could just have money and I could just have the perfect woman, and the perfect relationship, everything would be fine. And I didn't. I left home at 17 and I moved to Colorado when I taught skiing and um, you know, I, but I was anxiety ridden most of the time. And the more anxiety I had, the more dope I smoked or the more, I wasn't really a drug guy. I mean, I did drugs, but the more alcohol was legal and cheaper and easier to get. So, um, you know, I've wrapped my car around things and I got arrested for stealing my own car, which is just, it's a story in itself for another meeting and guns to my head and um, I have to tell you you know I knew there was something always and I think we all have this inner compass for most of us who are, you know for most of us we probably have this rational compass that tells us this isn't the right way to go <laughs> this isn't really going to work in the long term this is not a good retirement plan <laughs> so um and I was a happy drunk you know, unless you screwed me and then I really wanted to take revenge and I did and I blamed my parents for everything and siblings and the world and how unfair everything is and uh and then um you know it it stopped working it stopped working a long time before I got sober it just stopped working and hangovers and the alcohol poisoning were worse because I kept trying to drink more. You know, it's like you take an aspirin and it doesn't work. You take two aspirin, that's nah, not working. I'll take two more and you have a stomach ache from the Advil. <laughs> so, um, there are a lot of things in life that goes between. It's not really that important. The important thing is that, um, you know, it's looking for answers and solutions to quote-unquote happiness in my life through people places and things and, and alcohol specifically i am 
I went fishing with a friend of mine. He was not an alcoholic. We drank together. He was definitely not an alcoholic. And um, I had two days before that, I was doing a show in New York. And uh, it was a Sunday night. I was at a club and I was terrible. We were terrible. Well, the audience was terrible. And um, there was like five people in the audience somewhat clapping at the end on a Sunday night, horrible gig. And I said to myself, I, I just not, I'm not gonna drink. I'm just not gonna drink anymore. And I had about eight Diet Cokes. And as the night progressed and everybody was drinking, I couldn't do it anymore and just started having rum and coke, which is not something I normally drink. And got seriously shit-faced and um, poisoned alcohol poisoning and the next day went went early with my friend fishing and anyway I got out of the car and he went down to the creek and the creek and um I stood in the middle of this road and I just put my I had no idea what was about to come but I put my face up to the sun and just like two plates in my head literally I felt go you really heard that in my head and never drank again you know I didn't know what that was then but I know what it is now and I went back I was living in New York at the time and in New York City and went back and we had you know big phone books we didn't have this we didn't have the internet we didn't have cell phones we didn't have computers or anything like that and um, looked up you know if you look in the white pages it starts with A and it goes A to about 20 AAAAAs and I saw AA in there AA in there and I didn't want to call it AA because I didn't want to be in this Judeo-Christian, mostly Christian organization. And I'm not one of you. I don't want to be at a club. You're weak. I'm not weak. I say you. I mean AA. And anyway, I called AA. I didn't live too far from inner group. I lived in the village. And um, I said, oh, sweetheart, nobody wants to be part of this group. You have no money, no insurance. Why don't you give it a try? So there was a meeting a half a block down from my apartment on 12th and 5th Avenue. When I went that Tuesday night, village open discussion, no longer there because someone <laughs> stole money from the church. And I, you know, I got on board. By that time, I couldn't take the subway. I, could, I wasn't taking the subway or trains. or I was so panic-stricken, anxiety-stricken all the time that I couldn't. I rode my bicycle through all five boroughs and all, all seasons of weather and um, and so I, uh, I went there and my wife at the time was just like, please let it work. Please God, let it work. <laughs> she was praying. She was a child of an alcoholic. And, you know, I met my first sponsor, but I was so paranoid that I thought he had a shotgun under his coat and he was going to put it in my mouth and blow my head off. And he went out to the ante room and took a legal pad and started writing down, if you want what we have, do what we do. And I did. And I, you know, I did service and I was a very competitive alcoholic. I wanted to be better than you, more sober than you, um, you know, because I wanted to be a part of, wanted to be accepted. And I really needed a job. And I saw people in that meeting with briefcases and shiny shoes. <laughs> I got a job. I got a really, you know, I got a good job. And I started doing service. And after a year, I started sponsoring people and, my book, the AA, there's a lot of great AA literature, especially the history for me. Being in New York, I got to see all that, the table where Ebby and Bill sat. It's really exciting. 
And I did believe in God and I was praying to God. And then after about 11 years, I'm um, like, this God thing thing is not working for me any longer. <laughs> this is like, I might as well go to Atlantic City and like pull a lever. It's like, I don't, you know, for those, I don't discount that there is a God for other people. It's just not the deity that I grew up with. I don't pray to a God. I make a determination. And then I take whatever action there is to make that come to fruition. Sometimes it happens, and sometimes it doesn't. And my uh, spiritual practice, which is uh, is Buddhist, is uh, Nishan Buddhism, is um, uh, the main thing is for individual happiness and world peace. I know the actions I take that will bring me towards peace and the world towards peace. And I know the opposite of that. I know that if I drink, it'll take me further away from that. I know that it's the first drink that gets me drunk. And I, I, I'll i tell you, I just want to kind of end with this, is that when I was on the second plane last night, I was like praying that nobody gigantic sits next to me. I'm just a little guy. And, you know, plane seats have gotten smaller and smaller. I swear, they're going to be the size of a thimble, you know, in 20 years. And... This gigantic guy sits next to me. He's <laughs> like, okay, whatever. He's just a person. Well, drink orders come and he orders a rum and coke. I'm like, ah, oh, shit, you know. Now, I am the only person on the plane and in both airports wearing a mask. I'm going, and I'm not promoting whether you should or should, or you guys do whatever you want. But for me, I wanted to. First of all, I was coming from a nursing home with sick people. I didn't want to bring, get anything. And second of all, I just don't want to get sick. So I couldn't smell the rum, but I was what, you know, you know, it's like this divided line down my head and one, the alcoholics looking at, mmm, rum, mmm, little stir in there, rum. And I was more interested in this, the, the design of the, as an artist now, the design of the stir, what's <laughs> the alcohol? Anyway, so he pours it and I'm looking at that and going, that is so fucking lightweight. Why didn't you order five or six to start? I mean, you are 300 pounds at least. Come on, dude. Anyway, mix it in. I'm thinking, okay. Because the other thing is I'm thinking for safety fate, say people who drink on planes can be dangerous, right? <laughs> so fine. He orders another one. I see the flight attendant look like, take a deep breath. Like, oh boy, here we go. He was fine. But I have to tell you, after 12 hours of travel, being away from home for two weeks, you know, seeing my brother in the condition he's in, seeing my life before me, seeing sycamore leaves on the ground fall, another death, every sunset is a loss, really. You fall every season's a loss, seeing him go is a loss, which brings me close to my own mortality, right? Because we all have a shelf life. I thought for a second, just a brief second, I go, no, you're not going to, because you know, you have so many first steps to prove that you cannot drink one drink. And I said, I am going to show up for this meeting in the morning, sober, another day. And that is the power of us, of we. It is not me. It's us. 
together. So um, I can't tell you, and I won't tell you now, the doors that being sober opened for me. I can't tell you. I would not have had a 40-year dream come true to live in the mountains of Taos, New Mexico, you know, one of the oldest indigenous Pueblos ongoing artist community. I can't tell you. Had a lot of loss. I lost a 37-year-old marriage, seven thirty, a 37-year marriage, because I finally had to live up to, to thine own self be true. I had to live to that. And um, it's been a rough year. It's been rough, but uh, and I love my wife. I still love her. I hope she's well. I have no idea what she's doing, where she is. However, um, I had to, um, I had to follow my path. And it takes a lot of courage, and you guys taught me courage. So anyway, thank you so much for letting me do service. I'm so grateful, Louisa. I don't know any of you. Well, I do. I know Bree. I see Bree there. My friend Bree, I recognize some of your faces. I love you, even though I don't know you. I love you as fellow travelers. Thank you.